Hey folks, thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. I have another guest with me today to talk about captioning um, uh, with a very cool colleague. And But before we get into that conversation, make sure to follow the podcast on Spotify and subscribe to it on iTunes. And if you like a particular episode, make sure to share it to your social medias. All right, Celeste, do you want to introduce yourself? Um, sure. My name is Celeste Reeve. I am a recent uh, PhD graduate, so I guess I'm technically Dr. Celeste Reeve uh, oh, from the University of Oregon. Doctor, yay. <laughs> uh, and I never want to be called Dr. Reeve, only ever Dr. Celeste. Okay. Um, <laughs> never. Uh, and I am in film and media studies. I primarily work with sound, uh, closed captioning, and adult film media. Uh, also known as porn. So that's yeah. kind of what I do. It's really cool stuff. Um, and it's just been cool to like get to know you and hear about your research. Um, before like before I was like about to call you, I also remember that you do burlesque. And uh-huh. I was wondering like how like how that was working out considering like coronavirus and stuff. Are you able to do it virtually or we there are shows that are doing it virtually so i'm part of unveiled which is eugene oregon's queer burlesque troupe um one as one of the producers for it finishing up like the overlap between the end of my dissertation and coronavirus like hitting at the same time yeah um, i just didn't have time to like figure out like great how do i do a digital show um so haven't really been doing too much. There are shows that are doing it. Um, and we've really been trying to use like our platform instead to like highlight other shows that are doing digital okay. shows. Um, like there's one out of Portland that is a queer and um, um, black indigenous people of color show oh, nice. and they call the launch and they do theirs digitally. So we've been more just trying to like promote other shows while we can't um, really and by we, I don't really have the time to, like, figure out <laughs> how to do that online. Yeah, yeah. How has it been, like, how has the doctor life been? Like, I know you're interviewing for jobs and stuff, and you told me that it was scary. So how has that been? It's been so awful. <laughs> like, and this isn't to scare anybody, but, like, to be realistic, uh... The job market for if you want to go into academia is so bad. Um, Like, you always heard, you know, we always talk about, like, how it's bad just in general. But, like, I can give the example that in the span of two weeks, I had, like, between 20 and 30 jobs just disappear. Um, Those searches were canceled because the schools no longer had the money uh, Mm. for that position. And I received about seven emails where they just canceled the search. Like, it was already an ongoing search that they just, like, canceled. Um, so it is a scary landscape. Uh, and I mostly like, I'm not tied to academia as like the ivory tower. I care about teaching and so like anything that allows me to teach, um, would be great. But yeah, I mean, I, interviewing is going okay. I just had one at Berkeley and one at Harvard. Oh, nice. And, um, it was nerve wracking to say the least. And I'm still waiting back on those, but, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, if I could give anybody the advice of, like, definitely don't define yourself as an academic that has to be in academia. Like, you can be an academic and not be in academia, Mm. and I think it's really important to keep that framework, especially as jobs continue to Explain that kind of, like, distinction, like, you don't have to be an academic, and, yeah, explain that. Like, like, I think, like, we often think, like, in order to be an academic, you have to be in academia. You have to be in a classroom. You have to be publishing. Mm. And I think that that's really unfair to, like, if you look back at, like, a lot of the work that we use in the classroom, it's written by people who were activists. Yeah. Who were artists. And I think, like, we need to value those contributions just as much as we do what happens on a campus. And I think, like... There's so much like elitism and classism mm-hmm. and there are so many barriers to just getting on a college campus that like to tie academic thinking just to a campus 
would be to ignore all of the other important work that's happening. Yeah. And a lot of it, especially in terms of like theory, is like these people are living out and doing the theory in real life. Uh, and I think it's important that we need to understand that distinction. Um, and so I like for me, it's been a it's been important to realize like I can do the research and stuff that I want to do even while being a DoorDash driver. <laughs> hey. Hey. Hey, get that money. Get that yeah. money. Um, if the government hears this, I have no current income. So. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, well, yeah, I could, yeah, I'm just trying to wrap my head around, like, the fact that the academic job market is already, like, shitty, um, and just with coronavirus happening, like, just made it even more shitty, so... Yeah, but I, I, have, I mean, yeah. Oh, I was gonna say I know people who <laughs> were told that they were going to, that they should be expecting a job offer, like they had done on campus visits, and then they were that position was canceled. Like to make it all the way to the way to like have yeah. them fly you out to a campus and be denied is heartbreaking. And it's like, what do you do at that point when you were expecting to? get a get this job like you have to literally change your career or your career path or find something else to do like it's just yeah no bueno okay well let's lighten things up (laughs) i'm happy i can come on here and just like shit all over everybody's hopes and dreams no no you didn't do that the world did that <laughs> um okay let's get into some classic shit all right so um i asked you to pick a song for this segment and i'm very curious to know what this song is and what lyrics kind of stand out to you from it yes so i one, spent way too much time thinking about what constitutes a classic. <laughs> okay, like, the, na- the name is just, like, people get wrapped up on the name. It doesn't have to necessarily be a classic. <laughs> okay. Well, I definitely, I went with something that, like, I couldn't remember if anybody had already done on this show, but I did um, It's a Shame by Money Love. Okay. Uh. And so the lyrics that, like, stand out to me most, or I pulled them up so I would remember them, is... Your honey took a dive and now he's playing with your mind. Oh, no. This cannot be accepted. The feelings that belong to you must be protected. So the song came out in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And two things stand out to me about this song is, one, I think in general, like, early female black rappers, like, were so feminist in a way that I don't think we give them credit for and like and I think it's like one of those things where like a lot of people stop at like Queen Latifah's Unity and like that's such an important song and people should totally listen to that but like a lot of the female rappers of that time were also singing a lot about like sisterhood or like not letting dudes fuck with you or like in the line that stands out to me for that was the feelings that belong to you must be protected mm. like this idea of like not just recognizing that you have feelings but like it's okay to put yourself first yeah and i thought that was like that's so important um and i think like you know just as a woman like thinking about the the ways in which i have let many men in my life sort of like dominate how i behave <sighs> i think speaks to a wide array of women but i also think so the full title of the song is it's a shame in parentheses my sister and so i think it is an important sort of song in the sense that like i think a lot of women can relate to the these lyrics but also very specifically the way in which black women could also relate to these lyrics and that kind of sisterhood and yeah just like representative of like the badassery that was 90s female rappers yeah I gave, gave way to like the kind of, like I look at like somebody now like she's Puerto I think she's Puerto Rican but like uh, Princess Nokia is like super feminist and like yeah I mean that wouldn't have happened without people like Money Love 
I think Princess Nokia is also black. Is she? I don't, yeah. I don't know. I'm, like, really bad at, like, knowing a lot about people's... Ethnicity. Like, <laughs> like their biography. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no. I, I will have to check this song out. I have not heard of it. Or this artist, so I need it's to... It's cool that also uh, samples, like, some old funk songs. Oh, like, nice. In the beat, so it's, a real, it's fun. Yeah, okay. Okay, so the song was... It's a Shame, My Sisters by Money Love. Okay. And that was some classic shit. So, I brought you here to talk about captioning. I consider you an expert in captioning. <laughs> you just you, you just got the doctorate in captioning. <laughs> so, could you kind of first talk about... Um, your talk more fully about your research and then i want to get into kind of like the history of captioning and motion pictures if we can get into that and some other things yeah so this started like this project started about three years ago i took a queer tv class and in that class we really thought about things that weren't just the media image itself like not just representation and it's sort of all these extra things of, like, how we interact with TV. And many people were frustrated that we never really defined TV. Um, but I really thrive in chaos. And I'm somebody who has used closed captioning for as long as I can remember. Like, I don't really know why I started, but I've done it since I was a teenager. And I will disclose that I am currently not deaf or hard of hearing. Um, and... So it started, I decided in that class that I was like, I want to look at something, like, I use closed captioning when I don't have closed captioning on, my my screen literally feels naked, like, it feels like there's something missing, and I, I it, I, I'm so used to just something breaking up the image, and so I jokingly, I mean, kind of jokingly said, I wonder what the captions for sex scenes are like, I've never really paid attention, and so this, like, set me on this just long... <laughs> journey of making an archive where I would record what all of the captions were for various TV sex scenes. Uh, and I did this just by like literally Googling like world's hottest sex scenes or like TV's 20 top sex scenes. Um, and I just came up with like hundreds of examples. And I realized that one, nobody was really talking about closed captions. And two, there were definitely things happening along the lines of like gender and heteronormativity that were just so apparent to me. And I was like, I have to keep going with this. Um, so I just, you know, I, I kind of spread that out to then looking at, well, what are the captions for porn? Um, and I was really interested in that. And so I look at the captions for porn um, in both like how we talk about captioning for porn, because it's often a joke to people. Mm. And, like, I think there's just some really, like, ableist logic and, like, just assuming that people with disabilities don't masturbate or don't want to watch porn or don't experience pleasure. Um, and then also looking at, like, I went through close to 400 porn videos. That was a weird spring. Uh, my entire spring 2018 or 2019 um, of just going through and going through the comment sections to see if people were talking about it. They were. Uh, I also got a great apple pie recipe out of the comment section. Hmm. Um, Pornhub co comments are a weird place. And then I just started thinking about, like, okay, well, what are the other ways that I noticed captioning failing in some way? And that led to me looking at, like, the way in which captions are often racialized. Hmm. The fact that actors of color are miscaptioned at significantly higher rates than white actors the fact that apparently captioners, there is no sort of cultural training. Mm -hmm. uh, and so like captioning the N-word with the hard R versus the A, which is so important, um, they just use it interchangeably. Uh, or just like not knowing how to spell things or just references that don't make sense. Um, or just changing it all together to be uh, standard American English, which Neva Smitherman calls like standard white English. Yeah. Uh, and then thinking about, like, okay, how are captions supposed to be interacting with us? And so I kind of, like, end my project by looking at horror films 
because they have some of like the worst captions like it literally just says like spooky music and it's like what what does that mean yeah <laughs> uh, and so i actually developed a phone application that pairs up with um some short youtube horror films and so when there are sonic cues in the video that are supposed to scare you the phone actually vibrates mm. um and it's supposed to like work alongside caption to help like kind of recreate those affective or you know those like emotional experiences we want from horror so that's kind of what i do i mean it's literally the entire gamut of ways that you really could like study closed captioning um just because i think there's so much to be done and there's a handful of people who are looking at closed captions uh, but a lot of it tends to be more like technology or education yeah like how can we use closed captions to teach students english and it's like that's it. That's all we're gonna say. <laughs> so yeah, uh, that's so, yeah. So just real quick, like you said, when you don't have the captions on the screen, that the the screen looks like empty or naked. Like, what about seeing the black and like the black bar with the white text, or sometimes just the white text? What about that is just like completes the viewing experience for you? That's such a good question. I think part of it is like when it is just a fundamentally different viewing experience because for me as a hearing viewer, I'm both taking in an image, hearing the dialogue and reading. Mm. And so when I, that not only is multiple mental things that are happening at the same time, but it's also physical in the sense that like my eyes are constantly, you know, moving down to this bottom of the screen. And so when I, I'm doing that, but I'm not being fulfilled because there's nothing there mm. because it's just the image, it feels like an incomplete action to me. And so I think it just, it's not just that I'm visually used to seeing it. I think it's just become so part of my physical viewing experience that not being rewarded with text feels weird. <laughs> yeah, like, um, I, I also watch things with, with captions. Um <laughs> And I feel like it helps me understand the story more. Like, sometimes I'll try to not... Like, if I'm watching a movie, I don't usually like to have captions on because sometimes the captions are, like, like an annoyingly too big. <laughs> um, yeah. And so sometimes I turn them off, but then I'm like, no, like, I need them on so I can understand the story because sometimes things are, like, whispered. And then sometimes the captions will pick up words from, like background noise and that's also really interesting because it like just adds other elements to the story um but yeah like yeah captioning captions are like really like and like, i think they're really important to to just in general like view especially people of um deaf and hard uh, hard of hearing but also like just i don't know it's for films in general like i think yeah, I, I think it's just an important thing. Yeah, and it's interesting because, like, my work does bring in issues of, like, deafness and hard of hearing and disability, although, like, deaf, deaf individuals do not always consider themselves a disability. It's considered a communication variation. Okay. And it's really the outside world that disables them. And it's... Mm. We view them as disabled, but, like, that's not necessarily how they would self-identify. But it's interesting because, like, captions is something that, like, a lot of people use. And so a lot of people, like, the stakes for me are that it's not just an issue of accessibility. Like, it first and foremost is an issue of accessibility. But also the amount of people who use captions has grown. I mean, yeah. so many people who, you know, aren't using it for accessibility who are just using it because they enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, viewing has changed. So it's sometimes, like, if you're watching things on your laptop and your laptop has shitty audio, yeah. <laughs> you'll caption. So what kind of information is being told to all kinds of people? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then just, like, with, just real quick, just with the caption and, and, and porn, um, I haven't watched porn with caption. I think the porn that I watched isn't captioned. Um <laughs> I, I remember, you know, you gave your talk and you said there's only a cert a handful of 
porn uh, porn videos on on Pornhub that are captioned and very few of them are um, gay, like gay porn or uh, queer porn. So um, yeah, the, the porn I watch is not captioned, but just like yeah, I guess I'm curious to know like I guess why the why is it so few? And why is it only a select number of videos that are um, captioned? Yeah. Yeah, so it's part of, like, other sites may... Ha- some of them have started doing captioning. And so, like, I'm looking predominantly at big mainstream porn sites. Because, okay. of course, there are, like, independent and um, smaller-scale studios that are invested in these issues. So okay. I'm looking at, you know, the big, big one as porn. They kind of, I mean, they started in 2018. It's unclear, like, what necessarily sparked this. Uh, probably because they did do audio captioning for blind users already. And it falls under their Pornhub Cares, which is supposed to be, like, their <laughs> philanthropic uh, branch. And so I don't know why they started. Um, okay. And I did email them a couple times asking <laughs> if somebody would interview with me. But then the lawsuit happened against the by the deaf man who says that like the captions there aren't enough, hmm. and then they yeah I don't know if they were just like we're not talking to anybody about our captions or I don't know why they never responded to me but I'd love to know why. Hmm. <laughs> In terms of their methodology, like how they went about this, they went with or they claimed to have gone with the most popular, and they were going to do it in waves. And so the first batch was like 412, I think, um, give or take, that they wound up doing. But yeah, the problem with doing that is like that captioned body is not going to meet a lot of people's, you know, what they find pleasurable. It was very porn so straight, porn so white, porn so basic. Um, (laughs) Like, I mean, there was barely anything fetish or kink. I think I did a search for lesbian, which is one of the more popular categories in terms of both men and female viewing. Lesbian rates, continuously rates pretty high up. Yeah. Um, yeah, out of the 412, there were seven. Yeah. Uh, and I don't remember there being any under the gay, like, because you can combine tags. There weren't any under the closed caption and gay hmm. um, in the original... 412. They've expanded it now. Okay. Um, but what's interesting is it says there's like a thousand something now, but if you just click around, like some of the ones that they say are captioned aren't captioned. Wow. <laughs> so. Yeah. It's definitely not a, it's like one of those things of like, it's hard because like I, of course, like I advocate for, I think captions on porn is like important for accessibility, but also just different kinds of pleasure. Like there's a reason that written erotica has been around since we could write yeah uh and yet uh, the way Pornhub is doing it like is such an issue for me that it's hard to like congratulate them <laughs> do better Pornhub yeah like you don't get a gold star for doing the not even the bare minimum um okay so could now I want to kind of talk about or ask you about um whether or not there's like a history of captioning um either in like motion pictures or television or porn like what kind of in your research what kind of histories of captioning did you develop yeah so it's interesting because there were early um starting in about the 40s well I don't want to presume, I mean, it's great. I know you've had um, several people in here talk about film and media, but just for anybody who might not know, like in the 1910s and 20s, you had a lot of what would be called intertitles. And so since there wasn't sound, a lot of it Mm -hmm. was written on the screen. And so it wasn't really an issue. And in fact, I went through archives of fan magazines in which people had written in about how much they were deaf and they loved the moving image. They loved motion picture Mm. because... At the time, it's really the only form of entertainment they can access because the theater didn't have sign language interpreters. And in fact, during that time, 
there's a move called the oralist movement which is like pretty much society was like we don't want you to learn how to sign you just need to learn how to speak uh and so theater didn't have any sort of sign language um and so film became one of the only ways that people had access you know the acting was very dramatic uh and then any dialogue was already written on the screen so it was very easily accessible then you know 1920s into the early 30s we have the transition to sound and there are i mean it's kind of heartbreaking like you can read letters to the editors of like deaf people asking for the like filmmakers to keep making films as silent films so they can still enjoy it mm. there were some really weird like <laughs> because deaf and hard of hearing people you know they had money and theater owners want that money there were these like really weird attempts at making films accessible. Some of my favorite are the dentaphone, which was <laughs> you would put a piece of like rubber coated metal in somebody's mouth and it would vibrate the sound so they could hear it. Now the science behind this it- I can't. I'm a doctor. I'm not that kind of doctor. <laughs> so, uh, another one was putting a person's hand in the water so they could feel the vibration in the water. Um, mm. And then just like a lot of headphones. So there was like kind of an attempt, and then they realized, you know what? We're making more money from sound pictures. We're just going to kind of leave this audience behind. Wow. Um, there was an actor named Emerson Ramiro. Ramiro, yes, Ramiro, in 1947, who kind of decided, I I think we should do captioning. He was more successful than previous people had been because there was no legal government requirement, so it was really hard to get studios to agree to, like, do this. Like, there's no, there was no real incentive for them to do this. That'd be my water bottle. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, he kind of starts up the death-captioned um, what is it? The deaf caption for caption films for deaf viewing, and um, he kind of starts that. And he does get some some government or uh, some film industry buy-in, but the problem is, is, again, without any sort of incentive or legal requirement, why are studios going to be like, yeah, we're going to hand our films over to you? The fifties and sixties saw some federal funding to sort of start creating these films. A lot of the films of that time, though, if you look at them, are really bad. The ones that are captioned, they're not really great. They're, they tend to be educational. Um, until the 70s. The 70s saw a huge movement to caption things, and it wouldn't be the movie industry. It would be TV. Mm. And so the first, the first show that was what we would call open captioned. So open caption is when you can't turn it on or off. Closed caption is when you can turn it on or off. Turn it off. Um, so the first open caption is actually an episode of Julia Child's The Front Chef. Uh, and so it would really be like public broadcast shows that would start doing open captions. Um, ABC News then would start running a news program at night that would be open captioned. Uh, and then into the late 70s, you start getting an actual like TV decoder that would allow people to send captions. Um, and then the next, and that, that's called the line 21 decoder. So in the airwaves, captions are the line 21 is what it, that's super technical, but that's just, hmm. if you ever want to know what, what line closed captions show up, it's called line 21. <laughs> uh, Good to know. Yeah. And then the big thing would be the American with disabilities act in 1990. Um, so Title Three requires that public spaces provide verbal information, and the easiest way to do that would be closed captioning. So really, it did take a government, you know, a federal mandate um, that would force TV to at least become accessible. Interestingly, that didn't apply to movie theaters mm. uh, because they're not public spaces in the same way. So movie theaters didn't have to until... 2016 actually so it's very recently that movie theaters had to have 
captioning as an as an option, uh, and that is specifically in the U.S. Um, that is not everywhere. And what that winds up coming down to is why sometimes you'll see a 10 a.m. viewing at the local movie theater that says like captions, um, as if deaf and hard of hearing people don't have somewhere to be at 10 in the morning on Wednesday. <laughs> Um, but they just like live, you know, they can just do whatever they want. Um, and so it's still not perfect. Uh, mm. Streaming sites like Netflix fought really hard not to. Um, they had a pretty big uh, case in 2011 where Netflix was really fighting against having to add captions. Huh. Uh, and it would be the 2011 case that would really solidify that, like, no, as a streaming site, you do have to offer captions. Um, so in terms of, like, captioning history, it's, like, captioning wasn't a problem from, like, the 10s to 30s. 30s to the 60s, you're kind of out of luck. Uh, 70s start seeing some movement. The 80s start seeing TV have captioning. Uh, the 90s does start requiring TV to provide captions, and, you know, then we get the decoder. Uh, and then it's really not until the mid 2000s that it really starts being enforced for film streaming and movie theater. So it's it's a relatively new in terms of both law and something that the movie or just entertainment industry has to think about. What were some of the reasons that Netflix didn't want to provide captioning? Were there any reasons that they gave? Maybe. Money, okay. Because some of the things, like, if you... And not everything on there is even currently captioned. There are some things that aren't. And it tends to be older things that would have come before. So things, like, pre-90s don't always have captions readily available for them because it wasn't required. Hmm. Which means, as a streaming site, what kind of monetarily cost are you maybe taking up to, like, use a third party or use your own in-house captioning or um a lot of these things have been captioned for like dvd release and all that kind of stuff but really i mean it just it does cost money to add captions to things so Mm. they really didn't want to do that um they i think momentarily may have experimented with like auto captions the same way youtube did but that's clearly i mean if you've ever turned on auto captions on youtube you know that is just a shit show uh, so it, because it, it has to be hand captioned, it does cost quite a bit of money. Just in terms of like hiring people to transcribe and all of that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then, oh, sorry. No, and I was saying, unfortunately, the people that wind up getting hired are usually doing this like part time or late at night or like the it's there's not necessarily like an industry. I mean, there is an industry of captioners and there are requirements um, specifically to be a live captioner. Like, so if you're watching live TV, uh, you do have to meet certain requirements usually by the companies. Um, but unfortunately, like there's not always a lot of like incentive for people to like care about what they're captioning, um, which leads to, to, I think a lot of like a lot of the mistakes. Um, and then I was going to ask, what what were the, some of the reasons for the 1990, um, like, law that required captioning? Uh, the American with Disabilities Act is just, like, a huge, I just, mean, it's one of those okay. things that, like, it's just a huge, a huge legal moment um, and a big victory in terms of, like, it's the thing that, like, started us thinking about. Uh, having to have elevators or having ramps or cutouts or uh, braille. So it was just like a huge move for um, disability advocates to really get access in a, in a way that like, you know, it's not that we can't go to this building. It's that you all, oh, we just need a ramp, like yeah. those sorts yeah. of things. And so it was just, the captioning part of it was a small part of just such a larger okay. uh, bill. And uh, I would suggest if anybody is interested in sort of disability activism, Netflix has a documentary on there called Crip Camp huh. um, that kind of follows a small sect of that. Uh, and it's pretty, I mean, it's a pretty interesting, it's like a small snapshot, but it covers quite a bit of um, disability activist history. Okay, cool. Um, and then I want, so where do you, where does the, 
captioning and porn fit into this like grand captioning history is it fairly like is it just more recent or yeah yeah and so what's interesting is Pornhub is not required to so who is required to caption is really interesting so streaming sites like Hulu, Disney Plus uh, Netflix Amazon Prime they are required in many ways there are some caveats to that but generally saying we'll say that they have to have captions that is not true for other forms of hosting sites. So YouTube has also been fighting having to have captions. Uh, YouTube doesn't have to have captions. Vimeo doesn't have to have captions. Anything less than, ooh, I'm blanking on the time, but there is like a time, like if, if your piece of media is less than X amount of minutes, it doesn't have to have captionings, which is why commercials don't always have captions. The only exception is during during the Super Bowl. The commercials do have to have captions. Mm. Uh, that's the only time. Uh, and so porn sites fall under that kind of like more like a YouTube than a Netflix. And so they don't have to have it. Uh, so it'll be interesting if more sites, more of the mainstream sites start offering captions. Um that's something I'll definitely be interested in. I think you're going to see more, like if my guess were, it would, you'll, you would see more independent scholars yeah. offer captions just because there's been so much conversation about accessibility uh, in the past couple of years that I think you would see that before you would see like Pornhub uploading everything with captions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just like the like having. Yeah, I get that it costs a lot of money, um, and well, yeah, it just also seems like there aren't a lot of people that want to be captioners. But I don't know. It sounds like a kind of like a cool job. I don't know. Uh. Yeah, and I, I mean, there's obviously issues of like, I almost liken it to like fan fiction, okay. which like I don't really get. I, you know, you do you. I don't want to judge. <laughs> It's not, I have a bad memory, so, like, I feel like I would forget what was real and what was fan fiction. But, like, if you have people who care about the thing that they're watching and the thing that they're captioning, the captions you get are probably going to be significantly better. Yeah. And we can look at subtitles. So, subtitles are like captions and the fact that they're, like, you know, words on a screen. But subtitles only have to do dialogue, so they don't have to worry about, like, if a cat's meowing, they don't have to put that. They only worry about dialogue. And it's more, subtitling is more an issue of translation. So, like, you're speaking French, I speak English, I want to watch your film, I'll translate it from French to English. That would be a subtitle. And if you watch TV shows, and there are, like, forums where people, you can exchange just captions, and it'll play over whatever media you, there's, like, different, like, widgets for it. And so if you look at those, like, the fan-made subtitles for other viewers are so much better than mm. the subtitles from the corporation yeah. or from somebody who doesn't care. And so I wonder, like, is there a way that captioning can use, like, more of that model to make better quality captions? Yeah. And, of course, there is the issue of, like, labor and, you know, you want those people to comp be compensated. Um but I don't know. Like, I mean, I watched over 1,200 things for my dissertation. Um, and that's not including, t like, that includes, like, TV shows, but that doesn't include, like, individual episodes. So it's probably closer to, like, 2,000 things. Like, I watched a Jeez. lot of captions. <laughs> and I can tell you, like, how many things, like, if somebody had cared about the characters, how much better the captioning would have been. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I guess, I guess we'll just keep hearing from you on <laughs> where all of this is gonna go, um, and hopefully you find like other scholars to be in conversation with on this, because um, it seems like it's not a lot of folks that are as interested. No. Yeah. No, and I will say like I go pretty hard on like people especially my porn chapter like the people who make fun of the closed captioning for porn 
Like, I am not the nicest to them in my dissertation. <laughs> um, and I, I'm not sorry about that at all. <laughs> it's just like having major news sites just like not get it. Yeah. It's just really frustrating. And it's also like, I don't, like, what, what? Everybody gets off on different things. Like, why? How is this any of your business or problem? Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, so just to close this out, what 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 have been some of your either most funny caption finds or most like inaccurate uh caption situations in your research? Like share a little bit about those moments. I'm going to start with the ones that make me angry. Okay. Uh, and then I'll end on the fun ones. So the ones that I find, and I say angry because the ones that I find, like, the most offensive make me incredibly angry. So, for instance, um, there is the 1991 film uh, by Julie Dash called Daughters of the Dust, which is just a, if I can do a French kiss to a movie, yeah. is just such an important film, not only for sort of black cinema or female filmmakers just is an incredibly gorgeous film yeah in the film they speak in a dialect um they speak in a in the gola what's called the gola dialect and the entire captions correct and i'm saying that with air quotes correct it to be standard english so it completely erases the importance of the Gullah dialect. And the Gullah dialect, I mean, if you think about the way language like really represents people and diaspora and encounter, the way in which erasing the Gullah dialect erases that entire history. Yeah. And you're literally recolonizing it via language by making it fit what you think is correct. Um, so there's quite a bit of my dissertation that is my dissertation advisor is like, wow, you really go hard on that. And I was like, yes, I do, because I'm so angry about yeah, it. Yeah. Um, and so things like that make me, like, it's not just that it's like a, a minor miscaption. It's not just, you know, accidentally misspelling a word. You are completely erasing the importance of what this film is doing. Uh, and so I encourage people, like, when you're watching your media and you're watching, if you do use closed captions, to think about what are those variations that you're seeing? Like, what are those mistakes? You know, I also look at, I don't know how old the people listening to this are, but there was a rapper named Nelly <laughs> who <laughs> had a show called Nellyville. Oh, and yeah, yeah. I know, right? Like, I, until my dissertation, I completely forgot, like, Nellyville. about Nellyville yeah. as a TV show. But in the first episode there are so many miscaptions for it that are so clearly like one of the miscaptions is like it says i just want to make sure that she understands that it needs to be tasteful but what he actually says is i just want to make sure that she understands education is first and it was about one of his daughters like modeling and Later, it captions him as saying, what are you saying? But what he really says is, what are your grades like? Mm. And it does this a couple times throughout that first episode. And it's like, in every single one of those instances, you have a black male who is clearly invested in his children's education. And all of those things that indicate that are being erased from the captions to fit what kind of dominant narrative and so like those sorts of things that like completely i mean you to me they're so clear in terms of like the way in which we're using language to enforce dominant ideology yeah and the same so when i was looking at tv sex scenes the when heterosexuals have sex it's just moaning (laughs) i think it's important who but it just says moaning but like if you look at like the first episode of queer as folk it says men moaning like it makes a distinction Mm. to say who like the way in which captions mark certain people or don't mark other people is really it's not as 
apolitical as we may think. Yeah. Like, closed captions are technology, but language is political. Yeah. Language is important. And so I would encourage people to look at that. Those are the things that, like, make me the maddest. Um, in terms of fun, so I'll definitely, I, I started this on, like, a sad note of, like, the job market doesn't exist. <laughs> so, like, captions are the worst thing ever. Um, because they're not. So some of the fun ones are... Uh, I think I've told you this one before, but I was watching this documentary about sharks, and the caption said, music reminiscent of the Jaws theme playing. Mm. Which is an incredibly long caption, but also just such a, like, they didn't want anybody to think that they were using the Jaws caption and get sued. Like, uh, Okay. <laughs> Uh, and I also really like, I was watching, there's like, I watch a lot of schlocky bad movies, like that's my favorite thing in the world. Uh, and there's this one called Schlocky? What, yeah, what is like that? Schlock. Schlock. is like, um, it, they're bad. Okay. But they're bad, not like Sharknado. Like Sharknado has it's... no, like, heart and soul. Okay. Like schlocky is kind of like, tends to be independent, not always, um, but, like, things that, like, had a little bit of heart to them. Like, they were made... They weren't just made to be ironic. Okay. Like, I, I don't think ironic cinema is schlocky in that way. I think it's just... You know, kind of ripping off that sort of thing. So things, things like Sharknado are, like, fun. But they're not really schlocky in the sense that they're just, like, whatever. Um, that would be one definition. I think a second definition of schlocky would be, like, just bad mainstream Hollywood movies are kind of schlocky. Okay. Okay. So that's an interesting. You know, I've never really thought about it. Like, it's one of those words that like you use and like. I have never it. heard it before. <laughs> Sloppy. I feel, like come, <laughs> I feel like I need to come back just like give like a real answer of what schlock <laughs> is. Um, I don't know. Good, bad. Okay. I guess for okay. me, that's how I'm. I'm personally defining it. Okay. Um, but there's this really bad '70s. Uh, maybe early 80s movie called The Warrior and Sorceress. Hmm. And the captions for it were so bizarre because, like, one of them was, like, slow, majestic music. <laughs> and another one was exotic, percussive music. Yeah. And it was just, like, a lute or something. And I was just like, what? I've never thought of the lute as, like, this exotic, percussive music. <laughs> It also says nothing. It tells the it tells the reader or the audience nothing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then in like Friday the Thirteenth, the caption for the theme. For I was gonna it, say Friday the Thirteenth has some interesting. Yeah, yeah, the one it's a long one, but it's whenever the theme plays, it's urgent, menacing theme plays climactically. Yeah. So it's like incredibly <laughs> long. It's so descriptive. It's so time you see that caption you know that the killer is about to come on screen mm. and so even though it's like so silly and like i don't know why those were the adjectives they chose yeah it kind of works so those are some of my more uh, fun ones yeah no those are definitely yeah i was gonna say friday 13 because we've been watching that um and yeah the when the the music is so um the the soundtrack is is like very orchestral um unlike the um the remakes um uh -huh. so it's like a lot of like just boom 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 and then like the caption will say Rith -rith rhythmic music getting faster or like yeah it's just like really interesting um captioning no, yeah it's so fun like it is fun but it is like for horror, it's so important to know when the killer is there. Mm. But like something like uh, those, yeah, those soundtracks. Like, how do you, you know? I don't, I don't have an answer for how to caption these things yeah. because I too would probably just say urgent, menacing theme plays <laughs> climactically. Um, and but you, it is, there are some fun ones. I remember you said that there isn't necessarily like a rule book that captioners have to follow. Not really. Like, there are guidebooks, and different companies will have their own sort of rules about what they prefer, but it really is up to the captioner. Yeah. And I think that's where I would like to see, like, I think it'd be really fun to have more, like, creative writers be captioners. 
Yeah, that like, would be cool. Yeah, I, I know. I just think, like, treating it as, like, a serious... Treating it not as, like, an afterthought, which so much of accessibility is treated like just an afterthought, like, oh, we have to do this, but treating it as, like, ooh, I have a vision, like a filmmaker saying, I have a vision, how do I want these characters and these sounds represented through language? Like, I would love to see more collaboration between captioners and sound editors and Mm. expanding those vocabularies. Like, I think there's just so much creative potential there that we're just not tapping into. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll live to see captions another day. <laughs> I can't. Totally. <laughs> um, all right, so now we've come to the end of the show, part of the show I like to call So Done. And it's basically where you get to talk about what annoyed you for the week. So, Celeste, what are you so done with? What am I so done with? I'm so done with... <laughs> Academics not responding to emails. Okay. This is an oddly specific one that I don't know how many people will uh, be able to identify with. Get it off uh, your chest. <laughs> but I just so I have so I, I have OCD and not in like the playful sense. Like I legitimately have OCD and it drives me, you know, really it's really hard. And so, like, I'm one of those people who, like, constantly does check their email. And I also, I get it. Like, I'm really bad at checking my, like, responding to email. And I get in that weird funk of, like, ooh, it's been too long to respond to your email. And if I respond to your email, you're going to know it's been too long. Mm-hmm. But when you're, it's interesting to me that the humanities and academia says we want to treat people like people and we care about you. But at the same time will not email you to be transparent about things or to let you know what's going on. And it's like, if you saw me as a human being with emotions, could you let me know what's going on? Just hit send. I don't care that it's been a week. Just, just fill me in. So (laughs) my little OCD heart can like stop checking like every five minutes, like, is it time? Is it time? Is it time? And, and is this about, like, job stuff or just, like... Yeah, it's about job stuff. Okay, yeah. I'm, br- I'm bringing it full circle. I started bitter about jobs what? and ending bitter Well, no, I mean, this is this is serious. Like, people... Yeah, no, this is serious. Yeah. yeah. Do you find that? Do people answer your emails? I find that I am the one who do- who, who, like will respond like significantly later than someone like i don't i don't really find an issue like people responding back to me like like i i usually like i'll be like oh it's been a week i haven't heard from this person i'll email back but then usually when they email me back it'll take me a week to email them back because sometimes i just don't like to look at my my email i just don't want to bother with it no that's that's so what I'm hearing is I have unhealthy boundaries and you have healthy boundaries. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I just don't. I don't care. <laughs> I'm also not looking for a job right now, so that might be why I'm more lax about emails. Yeah. So. My students never. Well, no, my students were always good about emailing me back. Yeah, I, I again, I was bad with emailing students back. <laughs> It'd be like two, three days, and, and then it'd be like, hey, um, I haven't heard about blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, like, look, I, yeah. So, in other words, the thing that bothers me is you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just don't email me. Like, I'm much, I'm much better with, like, instant messaging, so, like, Facebook, Instagram, like, stuff like that. That's why I kind of, like, put my email, like, I, I redirect my UO emails to my Gmail because I have an app on my phone so I can just easily respond to it. Um, but then sometimes I'm like, ooh, maybe I should, like, use my official email than, other than, like, the Gmail. But it's just, like, uh, sometimes I just don't care. <laughs> of like caring a lot about a lot of things and then not caring about like it's really showing like the things that i yeah 
the things I I have decided I do not give a shit about anymore. Yes, definitely. Um, okay, so I get okay. So what I'm done with is I always should talk Eugene on here. Um, now I'm gonna shit talk Springfield, which is the other ghetto ass town that's adjacent or like right they're 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 connected um so recently like i just saw that there was like a protest um that was in springfield in this apparently really dangerous neighborhood for black people um and the residents there well there was protesters out and they were peacefully wanting to do a demonstration and then the residents that were there um were um just very combative and um like my roommates were watching the video i don't usually like to watch these because they really upset me but i was just really like curious and frustrated at like how people um well, like they thought that they were they thought because they were protesters that they were going to destroy their homes and burn things down um and it's directly connected to just the kind of like media these people are consuming that are that are like not portraying the real people who are like burning stuff down like the people who burn stuff down like burnt like breaking into places and burning stuff down those weren't black people that did that in eugene like i don't but it's like i don't know if these people are seeing that and it's because like facebook live is like the news outlet now because like it's just raw happenings um and when it's on the news I don't know if this kind of footage makes it on the news, but the news doesn't really like portray what's really going on. So it's like, I don't know where people are getting their media, but it's like, it's just really, I don't know. It just kind of like makes it, it's just frustrating because it's like, okay, people can't peacefully protest because people will think they're trying to burn things down, tear things down. And then another part of it was that when the protesters were trying to leave the residents were just like at, like agitating them and being the insta like it's just like and it's like you know i moved here thinking that this was going to be like this progressive place i was returned to this i moved i moved here thinking that this was going to be this progressive place because you know it's oregon um and the university will pass it off as that way and without really seeing that you know there are a lot of issues and i think that i mean this just also goes back to the university as well it's like i think that people like i think that a lot of academics um a lot of professors don't realize like what graduate students and graduate students of color specifically have to deal with mentally like being in this kind of environment um i'm not sure what i would like them to do about trying to like s learn more about that but it's just like i think it just when things like that happen it just adds another layer on on top of me already feeling uncomfortable living here anyway um and on top of the fact that I have to take all of these classes that really are <laughs> giving me what I need and I have to basically like teach myself because they don't have any black faculty in the English department. Um, so it's like, I don't know, just that incident just had me upset for a lot of reasons. And so that's what I'm so done with. Okay, two things. One, yes, it's like the fact that the university can't like, there's all this rhetoric about bringing more students of color, which is, yeah, sure, that's all university needs to be thinking about that. But you can't do that and not also be focusing on bringing faculty of color because who is their support? Like, who, who understand? Like, who are, what are these coalitions that can be built? Like, it, you're just trying to put a Band-Aid over, like, what you, like, it's so performative in a lot of ways to say you want to bring, like, students of color, but then add none 
of the things that would actually make it a welcome place. And yeah, like no support, no like, like check, like yeah, no check in, no, I don't know. It's just like yeah, yeah. It's almost like like the university is so afraid of looking racist that they <laughs> act racist. like they don't understand like that difference. Yeah. And it's just mind blowing. And like yeah, the Springfield shit was bullshit. It yeah. was yeah like. A black family can be terrorized and protesters are arrested, but a white guy can spray wasp spray into a protester's face that's, and not be arrested. That's what happened? That one of the, that's one of the things wow. that happened, yeah. Okay. And it's just like, what? But sure, keep telling yourself you're a progressive state. <laughs> It's just like literally. Uh, oh, and then like the Proud Boys were there apparently, and they're really. Oh, yeah. There were. Yeah. There were so many more people that didn't live in that neighborhood. Wow. That it's just. It's agreed. Like I've lived all over the East Coast. Like mostly, like if you were to ask me where I'm from, like I'm a fifty-fifty split from like between like Fayetteville, North Carolina, and Baltimore, oh, Maryland. I have family in Fayetteville. It's a place. Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so, there are things I like about North Carolina. There are things I really like about the South, and there are things I really like about Baltimore, Maryland. And what's interesting is, like, I did the same thing. Like, I moved from those places being like, man, it's going to be so progressive. Like, it's going to be great. And then I got here, and I was like, this is awful. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. Is it easier to be queer here? In some ways, yes. But I say that as a white woman queer. Yeah. Like, so for me, it has been somewhat easier, but then at the same time, like, at what fucking cost? Yeah, just on that point, like, I do find that I feel more comfortable, like, just, like, being with my partner. Um, but I don't know if that has to do with just me, like, being more comfortable with myself. I don't really think Eugene really provides me the place to really do that. Like, as far as, like, when I go to the queer bar here, I don't really feel comfortable there. So I think I just, I don't know. I, that's That would have to be something I think on more. No, that's a good point. And also, like, I, yeah, I mean, I've lived here for five years, and I would say, like, I get gayer the older i get (laughs) yeah because you just stop caring (laughs) you do you really like everybody i hear who like tries to hang on to like youth as like this great thing i'm just like man i love getting older like the older i get yes the less i give a fuck yes the more i'm comfortable myself i am totally fine saying like you know what today i'm dressing super femme tomorrow i'm dressing super mask like i don't know what my gender identity is on any given day like you don't care like the yeah. less i love caring less it's so great yeah it's so great yeah i definitely love it also i love that yours was like a really important thing and then mine was like people answer my email that's like, still important that's still important <laughs> people are fucking with your money <laughs> like they really are it's that's so important it's still important yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I'm just, yeah. It's just fun. um <laughs> yeah the contrast emails <laughs> the contrast yeah that yeah um okay well thank you so much for coming on i feel like me and my listeners got uh just a lovely history of captioning a newfound interest in captioning um just from this interview um like yeah, I'm just really impressed by your research, and I'm like, oh my god, like, I get the full... Is that in your... Is that kind of history in your dissertation? Or is that just yeah, what you've I, gathered? Okay. It's in my introduction. My introduction is more like the history... Like, I actually, at one point, I think I have a line where I say, like, where I go through, like, the technological history, and I'm like, and this is the only time I'm going to talk about technology. <laughs> uh, because I do think it's important for people to know, and yeah. also to think about, like... I don't know, like, what a forced breakup. Like, I don't I don't know how I would feel if, like, I fell in love with movies and all of a sudden it's they were inaccessible gone. to yeah. me. Yeah. What a heartbreak. And, you know, I know we both are two people who, like, obviously have dedicated our lives to studying these sorts of things. And so, yeah, I definitely talk about it. But I'm more interested in too much of media studies and stuff is about just technology. And so I'm really interested in, like, it's only important because of the person in the seat. 
And so, like, thinking about, like, how did this impact people? So, yeah, I do talk about it, but it's definitely not the uh, the bulk of what interests yeah. me. Yeah. Well, for 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 this, it was it was great to hear that my history. Um, all right, so you can follow the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at Go Black Boy Go, and you can follow Celeste on social media at. Can you? Is the question. <laughs> uh, I allegedly think I have a Twitter. Um, I believe my Twitter is. Puffin on my huffy, <laughs> uh, because I'm a fat girl who likes to ride her huffy bike around. I love that. Um, so you can follow me there. Uh, feel free to email me at Celeste. <laughs> I feel so old. Email me at Celeste C E L E S T E Reeb R E E B as in boy at gmail.com yeah um no i th- hey you might get some emails asking about caps and stuff yeah um or homing pigeon you can just send a pigeon my way and he'll find me <laughs> um yeah so thank you so much for coming on and talking to me this was great um and thank you guys for listening and i'll see you next time